What is good, everybody? Yo, welcome to the Uncensored Christian Podcast, where we help real people with real problems know the real God. Hey, if you enjoy this message, share this with your friends because the gospel is not meant to be kept to ourselves. And there is a link down below if you would like to give. Your gifts really do help this podcast reach more people all around the world. I hope you enjoy this message. All right, I got a question for y'all. Did y'all make any resolutions this year? I know it's already getting close to the end of January, but it's still kind of fresh. Did did y'all make any resolutions? I'm going to be honest with you. uh, My resolution for this year is to survive. (laughs) Like, like, oh my goodness. After the year that we just had, if we can just survive, I I think we're doing good. But there's something interesting about New Year's resolutions. I don't know why. I've always sucked at them. Like, I'm going to be honest with you. I've always sucked at keeping my resolutions. Like I was supposed to be skinny for the last five years. (laughs) I was supposed to be saving money since I was 16, but I'm still broke. I made one last year um, that I was going to go work out like three, four times a week. And I was like, you know what? I'm actually do this. I went and got myself a gym membership. I was out there working it. I was doing it. And then COVID hit. And guess what? Them gyms closed and they tried to charge a brother for a gym membership. When I couldn't go, I said, I'm canceling that. And guess what? Once again, my New Year's resolutions completely tanked. I don't know what it is. Maybe you're better than me. Maybe you're able to keep them. But what I've noticed is when it comes to New Year resolutions, it's something that we get excited for. Like we like we get hype, right? The slogan, New Year, New Me. How many of y'all ever said that before? How many of y'all have ever said that or you know someone that's like, hey, new year, new me, let's go. And you get hype. But can I tell you something? That hype doesn't make things happen. I think the problem is, is that we assume that just because the number on the calendar changes, so can we. Like like we believe that all of our faults, all of our shortcomings just simply can fall away like the year that's not behind us. But can I tell you that as you step into the new year, all of your baggage, all of your pains, all of the struggles, all of your bills, all of your shortcomings, you carry those on your back into the next year with you. It's not just easy to get rid of them. Maybe this explains why only 8% of Americans keep their resolutions. And and I want to be clear, this isn't a message about New Year resolutions. We're going to get to the scripture soon, I promise you. But this isn't a message about New Year resolutions. This is a message about why we fail to change. That's my main focus. Why is it that so many of us can point out the places that we lack, but we can never push ourselves to change it? Why is that? Why why can we tell the whole world what we struggle with? Temptation, lust, envy. We got no problem admitting that we have struggles with forgiving people. We got no problem telling people, yeah, man, it's hard to read my Bible or it's hard to trust God. We got no problem being honest with the fact that we are not perfect and there's things that we can improve on. But we never do anything to change those. Or even if we desire to, we're never actually able to live up to the example that we know we can be. Why is it that we will come to God 
time and time again, asking for repentance for the same thing we did last week. Can I make a suggestion? And and, and some of you may not like this, and so I understand if you don't, but you will never see a new you in a new year if you're not made new in Christ. And that's the big claim. I get it. So how do I know this? Well, now we're going to get to the scripture because I know you've been like, Dante, quit talking, get to the word of God. That's what we came for. Look, look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is really interesting. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And this is the point that we miss. This is the point that we miss. You see, we we will have a desire to change. And, And I'm not talking about New Year resolutions type changes. I'm not talking about losing weight or saving money or going to college. I'm, I'm not talking about any of that. The changes I am talking about are we will have a desire to change our heart, to change our walk with God. We'll have a desire to change our desire for temptation. And we'll, we'll have all of these desires for actual real change. But we fall into the trap of thinking that our desire will get us to the destination. We think that if, if we just want it bad enough, if we just try hard enough that we can sustain it. But this is something that we need to learn about our desires and our feelings is that they change like a baby's diaper. <laughs> like I'm serious. The things that you desired five years ago, they are not the same things you desire now. If any of y'all like, like 23, 24 in your 20s, how how many of y'all do the very same things that your parents used to do that you used to laugh at them for? How, how many of y'all do the very same things that your parents used to do and you're like, uh, that's so corny. Y'all dumb. Get out of my face. And now you do it and you like it. Your desires change. And this is why we fail. When, when we try and make a change. When we realize that there is something in our life that is lacking and we set out, whether it's at the beginning of the year or when we come to a revelation or if God puts it on our heart, when we set out to try and make a change, if we root that change in simply our desire to do so, we will always fail. We need to place our goals in a foundation of God instead of a foundation of our desires. Look what James says in James chapter 1 verse 12. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. What is he trying to say? What is he trying to get us to see? He's trying to get us to see that if you want to actually change, if you want to actually start walking the path that God has set forth for you, you need to understand that your desires can't be trusted. Our feelings, 
What, what we feel like doing in one moment is not the same feeling that we feel in the next. And so they can't be trusted. Not, not when it comes to making decisions on if we're going to change and walk with God instead of turn away from him. Our motive to change cannot be decided by our desire. Our decision to change, our motive to change, has to come from our love of God and what he has called us to be. And you can desire to do what God has called you to do. But the reason why you do it, the reason why you change is because that is what God has commanded of you, not necessarily because you feel like doing it. Why is this? Why is this so important? Why does James point out multiple times that if we solely act on our desires, that's what can lead us to temptation and sin? Why is that? Because our desires flip-flop. They do 180s all the time. How do I know this? Because in one moment, you can desire to treat your wife with love. And then in the other moment, you can get in a fight and desire to let her have it. <laughs> like, like these things can change. You can desire to love your neighbor at one moment, but then you see them post something crazy on Facebook that you disagree with. And now your desire is to start getting in the comment section and let them have it. Understanding this, understanding that our motive for action cannot be simply our desires this will radically change your marriage, your relationships, your friendships. It will change everything you do. So we have to realize that our motive for change, if we truly want to change and we truly want to grow, it needs to be founded in our commitment to God, the commitment to what God has called us to do, the commandments that are in his word, the example that Jesus set forth in his life. That is the commitment that drives us to change. Here's some examples. I don't desire to get up at 2 a.m. every morning when my daughter starts crying. I, there's nothing in my body, not a single bone, single cell in my body that goes, man, I can't wait to get up and take care of my screaming baby when I am dead tired. There's nothing inside of me that desires to do that, but I do it anyway. Why? Because as a father, I have a commitment to take care of her. You may not desire to go into work. You may be sick and tired of it. You may want to just let them have it and let them suffer without you there. You may just be sick and tired of your job, but you have a commitment that you made. That's why you go to work. That's why you go to work, even if you don't really care for your job. And you would much rather be at home doing anything other than being at your job. But you still go and do what you are supposed to do, not because of your desire, but because of your commitment. And in either of these examples, if we allowed our desire to overrule the commitment that we have, we would never do the responsibilities that we need to do. I would never get up and take care of my daughter if I simply acted from my desire Instead of my commitment, I would never go to my job. I'm telling you, I would never go to work if I simply lived off of what my desire was. If we truly want to change, if that's truly what we want, then we need to get away from the things that change. I'm going to say that again so you don't miss it. If you truly want to change, you need to get away from the things that change. Look what Paul had said in Romans 7, verse 21. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. 
I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God that the answer is Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, or because of my sinful flesh, or my sinful desires, I am a slave to sin. That is so powerful. You know, we wonder why why we can't change. We wonder why it's so hard. We wonder why in one moment we're all pumped for it. We'll get all all the gear We'll get all the books we need to read. We'll we'll attend all the seminars and watch all the videos. We'll be all for it in one moment. But then the next, we just forget about it. We push it to the side because it no longer matters to us. And the reason why we have been struggling to change because we have been chained to our desires. Paul said it very clear. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, Because of my sinful desires, because of this thing in me that has a tendency to pull me in the wrong direction, if I allow it, I don't do what I know I should be doing because I don't desire to in that moment. But look at the solution that Paul gave. You you, you would think that with a problem this severe, right, a problem this serious, that Paul's solution would be something crazy like go get yourself a book, go, you know, go get some help, do something. But no, Paul said, the, the answer is simple. Is Jesus Christ our Lord? The answer is in Jesus Christ. Notice how he didn't say that the answer is in self-help books. Don't get me started. Please don't get me started. You know, you know the self-help books that assume that you can fix your problems when the problem is you? And it assumes that, that you can fix yourself even though you don't understand yourself enough to get out of the situations that you put yourself in in the first place? Self-help books will put you in the place of the Savior. And how can you save yourself if you're not even free? How can you free yourself if you're still in bondage? How can we ever get out of the habits and the routines that have been so destructive for so long without the help of someone who is already freed? That's why Paul says the answer is in Jesus. The freedom that we are seeking to be able to change, to be able to walk with God the way that we know in our mind we should. The answer is Jesus. The only one who truly knows you inside and out and the only one who is already truly free to be able to free you from your bondage. Jesus does this so many times. In the New Testament, so many times in the gospel, Jesus will just be healing people, right? Freeing them from bondage, freeing them from evil spirits, doing all these things, healing like crazy. But there's one story that I kind of want to focus on real quick. It's actually really interesting. We talked about Zacchaeus a little bit in um, the last episode of the parables, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Um, To give you some background, Zacchaeus is a tax collector. Ain't nobody like Zacchaeus. Like, like ain't nobody like Zacchaeus because tax collectors in that time, they had a few problems. Um, they would steal from people and they would take the money that was supposed to be going to Rome and they would take extra for themselves. And it would be really putting people in a bad spot. Like they were oppressors. They were terrible oppressors and it left the people in their community just without the resources that they need. It it was brutal. They, They were not the best people. And so the people in their community, they did not like them. 
despised tax collectors. They were not fans. And so Jesus rolls in to Jericho. He got a crowd following him and Zacchaeus sees him and he's like, oh, snap. Yo, I got to go. I got to go see Jesus. And so he starts climbing up a tree. And this is where we see Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19 and verse 5. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus because he's in the tree and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus in his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest with a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. He's serious about this. And Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. You know, with with a passage this powerful, there's so many different things that we could talk about. Like the idea of God giving grace to the oppressors. And even though that sounds scandalous, when you give grace to the oppressors and they change, it actually frees the oppressed. Or how a man of his status, right, he's rich and wealthy, would just be climbing up trees. Like that's not something that happened. Or the importance of the crowd. There's so many different things that we could focus on. But my focus is this. Zacchaeus had his whole life up to this point to change. The Bible says that he was a rich man. This isn't just something that he picked up in the last few years. He didn't just start scamming people in the last few years and and become rich. This is a lifestyle. He's been doing this for a long time. And he's had his whole life up to this point to change. You know, he could have not been stealing. He could have been generous. He could have stopped sinning by not taking what was not his. But this man was in a routine. This was ingrained in him. This was going to be something that was very difficult to change. How do I know this? Because up to this point, there was nothing else that caused him to change. Not his willpower. Certainly not his desires. Not the opinions of his community because they hated him and he knew it. There was no amount of self-help scrolls that this man could have unraveled that would have got him to change. But what did change him? What what clicked that helped Zacchaeus change and start walking on the right path? Well, it's the very same thing that, that Paul said would help us change. And that's Jesus. Notice, he started professing all of the things that he was going to do to change because his heart was set on Jesus. He, he wasn't about to do any of these things until Jesus rolled up. And then once Jesus rolled up and he was in his presence, Zacchaeus said, oh, snap, I, I need to change. I'm, make, I'm actually going to make this happen. I'm going to give back half my wealth to the poor. And I'm going to give them back four times as much. Zacchaeus is serious about this change because of Jesus. You know, this whole time, I've been explaining how desires can change and lead you down the wrong path. But if you have desires that are rooted in the foundation of God, those desires will lead you to his will for your life. How do I know this? Look at Psalms 37 verse 4. It says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now see, most of the time when we read this, we love reading that last part. 
He'll give you the desires of your heart. We, we love this, right? We got no problem telling ourselves or other people, hey, man, just want it bad enough. Just pray enough and God will give you the desires of your heart, whatever it is, no matter what. It could be anything. God will give you the desires of your heart. And then ultimately, when God ends up not doing that, we end up being hurt and confused. And the reason why is because we forget the very first five words in this verse. That is to delight yourself in the Lord. See, God will give you the desires of your heart if your desires are in line with his will. I think that's something we need to understand. God will not give you the desires of your heart if it goes against his will and his purpose for you. He simply won't do it. He may allow it to happen, but he will not be the one instigating those desires. But what desires will God give you? What will he grant? He will give you the desires of your heart if you delight yourself in the Lord. If you chase after God, if you follow the greatest commandment, which is love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. If you do that, naturally your desires will be in line with God's will. And so when Zacchaeus is in the presence of Jesus Christ, at that moment, his desires line up with the will of God. His desires are no longer lining up with his own selfish greed, which is to steal and deceive people, but his desires line up with God. And then and only then does God give him the desires of his heart. Our desire is determined by our focus. Zacchaeus focused on Jesus. That was his focus from that point on. And because of that, he desired what Jesus desired, which was taking care of the poor and the oppressed. I want to also point out real quick, notice notice how Zacchaeus didn't actually have to change before he received salvation. This is actually really cool. See, most of us think that Zacchaeus already went and did these things and then Jesus gave him salvation. Like there was anything that Zacchaeus could ever do to earn his salvation. But Jesus says, no, no, no. Before Zacchaeus even had a chance to walk out the room to do what he said he was going to do, Jesus already gave him salvation. It says, salvation has come to this home today. Zacchaeus didn't have to actually live out the actions that he desired to change to earn salvation. You know, sometimes we think that we need to change, that we need to be clean or we need to be holy before we can come to God. Sometimes we think that that we need to stop sinning and stop falling under temptation and reading our Bible more and trusting in God more before we can actually be in relationship with Him. But Jesus has given us a clear example that you do not have to do anything to be good enough to be in the presence of God other than simply realizing that you are a sinner in need of salvation. Because Jesus is more concerned with your internal change than your outwardly actions. That's what he's more concerned with. Look, to wrap this up, I know this year there are many things that we want to change, especially after coming off a year like 2020. I get it, bro. I get it. But if your focus is determined by your desires instead of your relationship with God, then you will never grow and change into the person that you want to be. Remember this. There is no new you in a new year if you are not made new in Christ. And right now, Jesus Christ is waiting for you to receive the salvation that he has so graciously given you.
If you have not received the salvation of Jesus Christ, if you are broken and lost and in pain and you need a savior and you are wanting a change that will give you new life, I pray that you accept Jesus Christ into your heart. And if you have been following God and you still realize that there are some things that you need to change, I still urge you to seek after the desires of God. Seek after Jesus and you will start to see your desires align with what God has willed in your life. I thank y'all so much for listening to this message. I pray that you share this with your friends and family because the word of God is not meant to be kept alone. Come on, people. And guess what? I will catch y'all next week. Peace out.